there was a Sabbath when the pastor had been teaching the congregation that mankind was made from the dust of the earth and that at the end of one's life, as Ecclesiastes says, that they return to the dust of the earth. And this, this pastor was talking about this uh, natural uh, occurrence of what happens uh, in life and, and, and the supernatural occurrence of, of God originating our life. And, and oh, it was, a, it was a wonderful sermon. And there was a young man sitting in the audience. He was listening very intently. He was listening, and, and it seemed like he was doing some great mental gymnastics in his mind. He was really trying to grasp something. And, and after the sermon ended, he, uh, he turned to his parents and he, and he told them, I have to talk to the pastor right away. And they were kind of surprised. He had never done this before. What does he have to say to him? And so he, he said, okay. Um, you know, they, they said, well, we can go talk with him. I, I'm sure, you know, it'll, it'll be a pretty simple thing, right? And so they came and, and, and the pastor greeted them and said, well, hi, how are you? And the, and the little boy said, pastor, I have a question for you. Well, yes, Johnny, what's your question? He said, didn't you say that God formed man from the dust and that to dust they return? And the pastor smiled and he felt pretty good about himself. And he said, well, I'm just... I'm just so glad that you are listening, Johnny. I'm, thank you for listening. Now, but why do you ask? And Johnny said, well, this is really important, Pastor. You had better hurry over to our house and look underneath my bed because underneath there, there's either somebody coming or going. I don't know which way it is, but you better come on over and tell me because this is kind of scary. There's a lot of dust underneath there. And, you know, <laughs> now... All right, so maybe Johnny missed a few things. Today we're not going to be talking about how dusty it is underneath your bed, all right? Praise the Lord. You don't have to raise your hands and tell me or how dusty it is on those, uh, those uh, mantles or anything like that. But uh, we are going to be talking about the creation of mankind from the dust of the earth today. And we are going to be learning what that means for us. We're going to dive in and see what this story has to tell us. And maybe it'll be a little bit different than somebody coming or going underneath your bed. All right. I hope, once again, by now you should know that you shouldn't close your Bibles after the Scripture reading because you know we're going right back there after I start. So Genesis chapter 2. It's not hard to find. Genesis chapter 2. Except we're going to start a little bit before the scripture reading. We're going to start in verse 4, but we're going to go to verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. 
a wonderful retelling of some parts of the creation account. Now this, you might know, you might wonder, why are we seeing another creation story? The first one seemed pretty good, right? Yeah, it seemed pretty good at the, you know, at, at uh, chapter 2, verse 3, that capped off the first creation story, and we're hearing something yet again about creation. It's kind of interesting. If you look at some of the elements here, you realize that there needed to be two complementary stories. You see, in the, in the first story that we went over not long ago, what you'll find is the name for God is the name Elohim. And this name is the name that you use for God when you want to talk about the God that is all-powerful, high above in the heavens, the ruler over all, the universe and the earth. It's the emphasis on the greatness, the exaltedness, the separateness of God from us, the untouchable, the unapproachable light. This is Elohim. And what you'll notice, though, that in in the uh, chapter 2 creation story, there's a little shift. All of a sudden, and you can even see it in English, all of a sudden it's not just God, it's the Lord God. And you say, oh, well, that's not important. You know, why are you bringing that up, Pastor? Well, the, the important thing is, is that is, this just isn't any Lord. This is God's covenant name that's translated as Lord. In chapter 2, it is the Lord God, Yahweh God. This covenant name was so special to the Hebrews that they wouldn't even say it. And we actually don't even know if the pronunciation Yahweh is the exact correct pronunciation because they didn't say it for so long. We're just figuring it out the best we can. It was such a special name. Why was it a special name? Because it's the name that specifically God took on in his connection with us. In chapter 2, God doesn't want us to see so much that he's the high, exalted being in the heavens. We already know that. We know he's, he's up there by now. We know he is, he is all-powerful and, and so far above us that we can't even fathom him completely. But now in chapter 2, he wants us to know that he's the God that stands beside you. This is the God that we're looking at today, the aspect of God. See, God needed a second side. You, can't, you couldn't rightly put it all together and get the emphasis you need in one story. No, you need a second one. And this today is the God that's close. This is the part of God that will get his hands dirty, as we'll see pretty soon. So what are all the, the new details that we find out from this personal God. We get a little bit of extra stuff about how the earth was created. First, he talks about that there was no small little plants of the field and no uh, no uh, grains of the field and all that. And actually, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because this is complemented by chapter 3 where these things come up, but we'll get to that next time. But this talks about that there were basically no weeds at first. How does that sound? Does that sound pretty good, gardeners? Yeah? How many of you have a garden? Come on, don't be shy. All right, yeah, you got a garden. Now, how would you like it if you didn't have to go out like pretty much every day? How did this weed grow like five feet tall in one night? You know, I'm having to like 
tie a tie a chain to this thing to pull it out. This is so crazy. And then your little plants that you're trying to nurse along, oh, they're struggling, you know, and all the bugs are going for them. Why can't they go for the weeds? Anyway, but in this time, there weren't all of these weeds, all of this um, haphazard, uncultivated growth everywhere. Everything was so nice and orderly. There was no crazy plant growing up everywhere. And also, there were no grain plants of the field. And this tells us that that's because man, until after the fall, he didn't till the ground to grow grains. God put the plants there. And all mankind had to do was just kind of take care of it. And, oh, man, they got to eat all sorts of good stuff. Wouldn't that be nice? You don't even have to go to the store. All of your plants are growing perfectly. You don't even have to till the soil. They're already there. God planted them. The best gardener. Seems like a pretty good deal, I would say. And it's interesting. God also tells us something about the earth. It it hadn't rained yet. Now, that seems kind of strange to us, and that's probably why the people of the flood didn't believe Noah. But it says a mist went up. You know, I was doing some little research. I just want to give you some of these things. This is so interesting to me. Actually, instead of just a little mist, it actually was probably means a spring would well up. So water would come up from the ground and, you know, like you have a, a spring, you know, like we have today. Water would well up and it would get the ground wet and water the ground. And, I, you know, personally, I'm not a big fan of rain, even though we need it. But when it rains, I don't know about you. Man, that is just, you know, you can't have as much fun outside. Oh, it, it would, I like God's plan at the beginning. This was good. But it had to rain later. That's okay. Um, but... But God had created things in such a way where things were beautiful and orderly. No weeds, plants that were there to produce fruit for for the mankind that he would make. He got everything ready, just perfect. And then what does he do? He forms mankind from the dust or mud in the ground and breathed into him the breath of life, which man made man become a living being. You know, this word formed is the exact same word that the Bible uses when it's talking about a potter with some clay, making a pot. And the, why I wanted to tell you that this is about the God that's close is that God didn't just say, okay, so let's just get the mud all together and then it's all perfect. I didn't have to touch it because I don't want to get dirty. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to, there's no, I haven't created soap yet. I don't want to wash my hands, you know. Uh, no, this, this is not this kind of God. This is a God who decided that mankind, and I touched on this a little bit before, but mankind was so important and so special that he decided that he needed to get down maybe on his hands and knees, get the mud and form spend time on this new being that he was making. Imagine, all of a sudden, a face starts to take shape. The arms, the legs, the eyes. God is, with his potter's skill, forming mankind, not just taking the easy road and saying, let there be man, poof, and there's a man. Well, hello, God. 
I just poofed into existence. No, this is not it. God took time to form man, and not, and he didn't even just say, get up, you're alive. Think about this picture of what God did when he formed man. First he got his hands dirty, and then he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. That is more intimate than I think we realize. To breathe into the nostrils the breath of life, you kind of have to get face to face. And very, you have to get very close. And so imagine the great God who has just called forth everything in existence. And he takes time to form mankind and get right in his face and breathe his own breath into the nostrils of that first human being. An amazing thing. I don't think we really realize how amazing it is. God took time on you. God took time on our race. And it's interesting, the next part of this, and it's kind of fitting for for men's day, but ladies, stay tuned because the principles of these things apply to you too. But the rest of this really is from Adam's perspective a lot. God's doing things, but he's doing things with the man, for the man, and all this kind of stuff. We don't, unfortunately, we don't hear a whole lot from Eve's perspective. We'll have to maybe ask her when we see her at a later date. Um, But we hear a lot of amazing things that God did to set up the world for the man and, 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 and make things ready for the completeness of mankind, men and women. But today we're going to see that a very important lesson was set forth by God, that true manhood comes from God. True manhood comes from God. Verses 8 through 10 continue the story. After the man was formed by God, his hands got dirty. The Lord didn't stop at just forming the man. It says, the Lord God the personal God, planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. See, a lot of people don't like it saying that God planted, because God doesn't plant. God's a God. God doesn't do things like we people do. God couldn't have planted a garden. That's too far below God. God doesn't plant things. Or does he? The Bible says God planted a garden. God didn't just go even wash his hands after he finished after he finished forming man. He decided that he was going to go and he was going to plant a garden for man for a special home. The world itself wasn't even good enough. He had to give a special zone for mankind to be. And out of the ground, it says in verse 9, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord put mankind in the garden, a garden full of everything that was a delight to the eyes, everything that he could have needed for food. God not only gave man life, but God also provided him just the right home for him to live in and just the perfect food to eat. Men, I don't know uh, about in, in your lives, but sometimes shelter and food can be the most stressful aspects of life. Some of the most basic things, but the world doesn't make it that easy to have a nice place to live and good 
healthy food to eat. You don't know what's in your food, even if it looks really nice. You don't know if that's some kind of genetic modification or what is in there, what's been used, all the pesticides. God gave a perfect home and perfect food for man to eat. And you know, sometimes men can be the most stubborn of all when it comes to food. You know, I, the, the stories go all the time when a couple gets married. Oh dear, sometimes the man is stubborn about getting his kind of food. And maybe that's not the lady's kind of food. I, was, uh, I heard a story from a pastor where he said after he had gotten married, he said, he said, my mama made rice and beans for every meal, every day. And I want rice and beans every meal on every day. And that was his declaration. This is what I want for my food. And the wife thought about it probably for 2.5 seconds. And she said, well, I'm going to make spaghetti. If you would like rice and beans, you can make it yourself. <laughs> Whoa. And he said, and you know what? I used my authority as the man of the house and I chose to eat the spaghetti. Yes. Yes, that authority is a good one, isn't it? You know, sometimes we can be stubborn when it comes to food, and sometimes we like to eat things that aren't so good for us, too. There are plenty of things that are full of fat and cholesterol-gathering stuff. You know, that, you know uh, there are so many cases of heart disease today, and why is it? Maybe it's because we are not eating the great food that God has given us from the beginning. God has already provided the food to eat. We need to get on his diet plan. His plan is good. And you know, God, if God can provide Adam with the right home and the right food, maybe we don't need to stress so much about that today. Maybe God, if we let him lead us, will take care of those things. True manhood comes from God. True manhood doesn't come from having to have this food your way and fighting and, and getting all stressed about what home or what's happening with your home. True manhood comes from following God and receiving from Him those gifts. It comes from God. But now, that's not all God gave Him. He didn't, he didn't give the man a home and, and food just so he could kick back in his little hammock that he made from the vines. He gave him something else that we sometimes don't like today, but it's good. Verses 15 through 17, it says, Then the Lord God, the personal God, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God gave mankind work. Now I won't ask you to raise your hands, but just think, how many of you guys, and ladies too, but I'm talking specifically to the guys, how many of you guys, oh, you, when you get up, you just can't wait to get to work. Man, you are just on the runner's blocks, poised, 
you, have, you haven't been able to sleep all night. Man, you've just been wanting to go in there and work. Yeah, probably not. You know, probably most of you, oh, man, it's only, it's Monday. Mondays, I hate Mondays. You know, why does Monday have to come? Well, it has to come because then Tuesday would be bad because it'd be the first day of the week. No, man. Yeah. Oh, thank the Lord, it's Friday. No work for a couple days. Man, we have a bad taste in our mouths about work. We don't like work. And you ladies don't like it probably any, any more than we guys do. Uh, you know, work seems to be a drudgery. And sometimes some people may have harder work than others. But you know, God gave work as a blessing. Because I don't know about you but man, when I'm idle, I get so restless when there's just nothing to do and, and there's no purpose in life. There's nothing to accomplish. God set up a perfect system when, where people, men and women, would have something to do, to not just sit around. There's a purpose to life. There's stuff to do. And you know, my prayer is that work will not be the biggest complaint on our lips. Work is supposed to be a blessing to us. And I hope that we will see that as a blessing, that we will find the good in the work. But you know, God not only gave the work, but he also gave boundaries. He gave boundaries at the beginning. And this is really strange that God would say that there is a restriction there's a restriction right from the beginning on something that they could not do, even though it was a perfect world. Why was there a restriction? Was it because God just likes to put restrictions on us, or was there a higher reason? The higher reason is because mankind had to know from the beginning that there were boundaries on him. He couldn't just do everything he wanted to do. He had to follow God's way. And a lot of the wretchedness and the sorrow today comes because we don't follow God's way. We like to drink things and eat things and go do certain things, all sorts of things. There's an innumerable amount of things that we like to do that are bad for us, that destroy our lives. And God tried to tell us right from the very beginning that you can't live a good life unless you follow my plan. See, true manhood doesn't come from what you may want to do, what your inclination might be from being aggressive and going to the bar and getting in fights or, or doing all sorts of dangerous, ridiculous stuff. No, the true manhood comes from God and following God's ways. True manhood comes from God. And God told the man that the consequence of not going in his way would be death. And you would think that after so many years of suffering the consequences of Adam and Eve's deviance from God's way, that we would learn that we would not do the same things, but we still do it today. Men, true manhood does not come from the fact that you can do whatever you want to do. No one can tell you what to do. It comes from how closely you listen to God and how, how closely you follow His voice, how good of a servant you are to Him. That's the true manhood.
But then there's one more element that God came up with, and he knew that we needed it because we would have been in trouble if we didn't have this. You see, the Lord God says something very curious. Very curious in chapter 18, or excuse me, verse 18 of chapter 2. He says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. This is the first time in the Bible that God says something is not good. And, and you know, maybe I'm a little bit confused. Maybe you could help me. Is, is this before or after sin? Because, you know, I felt like everything that's bad came after sin, everything that's not good. It, could there be something not good in God's perfect creation? Oh, y'all are like, he's just going to say it. I'm not even going to make a peep. I know he's just going to say it. <laughs> Come on now. There, this is something that is absolutely amazing. And we just read over it like it's nothing. In every other part of the other creation story, pretty much, God saw it was good. It was good. It was good. And at the end, oh, it was very good. God saw everything that he had made and it was very good. But then when we get to chapter 2 and he says, hold on, let me rewind a little bit. And let me tell you, there was a time that something wasn't good, even though sin hadn't come in. There was something that wasn't good, that man should be alone. And so God made a plan that he would make somebody that corresponded to him. Now, ladies, sometimes when you read that, I will make a helper comparable to him. What am I? Just a servant? A helper? Are you kidding me? And some guy, sometimes guys are like, yep. And like the old King James said, help meet. Mm-hmm. That's right. I was made a help meet. Yes. We, we, we like, oh, some guys like that, right? Well, actually, you, I, I, need to, I need to let you in on a little something, guys. Ladies, close your ears. All right? Actually, in every other place almost in the Bible, that word helper is used to describe God. The word helper is used to describe God, that God is a helper of X, Y, and Z. Sometimes we like to see this as God is going to make a helper, you know, a helper. Oh, but, but comparable. Okay, we'll, we'll, you know, she's a helper, but we'll put her up a few notches, you know, comparable. To him, actually, what this says is we'll make a helper comparable to him. See, see, the, 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 when you read the rest of the Bible, you find that this word helper is, is to be someone who, that helps somebody when they can't help themselves, that reaches down to pick someone up, right? Oh, this changes the paradigm. Have mercy. See, this helper was somebody so much more than just someone to, to serve and to just be a little, a little uh, handbag or a wallet to go with the guy. This was somebody that was the perfect complement to man. This would be the person that would provide something that he could not provide for himself. And the honor is so great 
that is bestowed by this word helper being, a sim, being the same word that is used of what God does for people later in the Bible, that God had to pull it down a few notches. She's a helper, but comparable to him. Comparable. And, but, you know, God didn't just do it right off the bat. You see, God is, he likes to do things in just the right order. He said, well, Adam, you know, I know you've noticed that there's no one around here that you've seen yet that seems to match you. You've seen these animals have their pairs and this. Why don't we just go through the whole list and we'll check it out. And so Adam gets all the animals coming by him and he says, you know, I think that one's going to be lion. Really? Yeah, lion. Okay. Uh, okay, next. You know, I think this one will be giraffe. I don't know why. Well, of course, we're getting giving English words here. But he's naming all of the animals as they go by. And at the very end, there was probably a little sigh and a little contemplation. Why, why isn't there anyone for me? Why does everybody else get a, get a companion and I don't? Why am I alone in the world? And then God, knowing this would happen, lovingly comes and says, Adam, let's take a walk, you know, and I don't really know how God did it. They didn't have, you know, the, the you know, needles to give anesthesia, but I, I imagine God just saying, why don't you just take a nap for a second? Let me do some surgery. And God takes a part of his side. He doesn't plunge his hands into the mud again. That's already done. He takes part of his side. And you know what's interesting? There's so much here, guys. It doesn't say that he formed a woman from the part of his side that he took. It says that he built a woman. Woman is the only being in all of creation that is given the word built as, as referring to when God made her. Everything else, even, even the animals, it says the Lord God formed the animals, etc., etc. And of course, man, yeah, he formed him too, you know, even though it was a little bit more special, right? Formed like the clay. But no, there was something a little bit more special that he wanted to say for ladies, guys. He built a lady. So it's not so far off that we say that she's our gem and that our ladies are our gems, gentlemen. Because she was given a special honor to be built by God, not just formed by God. Yes. And then I imagine that he kind of briefs her. He gets her up to speed. It doesn't say that, okay? So I'm, we're going on conjecture here, but I imagine he gets her up to speed. Okay, Eve, listen, you know, there's another, there's a guy over there. You know, I made you guys to go together. What? Yeah, calm down. It's okay. You know, and let me just get you up to speed about who I am, what I've done. And then he goes over and he says, <clears throat> Adam, wake up. You know, I have somebody to introduce to you. Imagine what that would have been like. You are the only being of your kind on the face of the entire planet. And when you wake up, you see somebody that's not just like you, but is the perfect complement to you. Wow. And you know what's interesting is you see this, man, I'm telling you, sometimes the translation, the English just doesn't do it justice. In verse 23, 
a lot of times it just says, and Adam said, ah, this is now. You know, very, very mechanical way. Ah, I, I perceive that this is what is happening now. Let me file that thought away in my brain. This isn't what it is. This should be, you should read this as saying, wow. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, it's, it's an exclamation of, wow, this, this person's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And sometimes guys are like, oh, yeah, he named the lady. Actually, this isn't a naming. This is a recognition. God made man to be ish in Hebrew. And he says, wait, I get it, God. You made me to be ish. She'll be isha. She's, she's woman because she came out of me and I'm man. We're, we're, we're one. Yes. A wonderful realization. But friends, let us not think that this is the only way that we can be fulfilled today. Because the specific thing was man should not be alone. And woman should not be alone too. Okay, let's go with it that way. Someone should not be alone. What does this mean? Sometimes, because of life circumstances, people's need for community have to be satisfied by their brothers and sisters in the family of God. It may not be the exact same way that Adam was satisfied and that some other people are satisfied, but God made humankind in a way where you need community. You're not an island. And especially guys, don't think that you're just supposed to go it alone and be tough and never tell anybody what's going on, what's going on inside you. You need community. Ladies, you need community. We need community. And sometimes we don't get that in the United States of America because we live in a culture where it's about me and what I can do for myself. And I'm glad that, that your response to how are you doing is always good because I don't want to hear how you're doing. That's how, that's how it is a lot of times in this culture. Friends, we need to actually care about one another. We need to have real community. God said that mankind should not be alone. Don't ever cut yourselves off from community. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's friends, church family, you need community. It's what God's plan is. It's what God's plan is. See, true manhood coming back to you guys, true manhood is in following God's plan. True manhood comes from God. And let me just say one more about the ladies in your lives. You know, sometimes ladies being abused get so bad and we don't even realize it. But there's actually a program, a movement that I was made aware of of End It Now. And it's ending abuse now. Look it up. End it now. Men, you are men of God. Do your part to treat the ladies around you like the gems that God built them to be. They are your perfect complement. And the ladies that aren't your spouse, they should be cared for and protected by in whatever friendship that you have. Friends, we have a wonderful privilege. 
to be in the position that we are, to treat our ladies with the utmost concern and love. True manhood comes from God. True manhood comes with serving those around us, serving our ladies. True manhood comes from accepting what comes from God's hand, uh, trusting Him to provide for our shelter, our food, trusting Him to give us strength through work and to provide work, trusting Him when we don't understand why the boundaries are set where they are, trusting Him to provide for our community and however He will. True manhood, true womanhood comes from God. You know, friends, uh, I've heard some other funny things that kids have said from this man being made from the dust of the earth. One kid, when he heard the, the pastor say, oh yes, man was made from the dust of the earth, etc., etc., he cried out, so that's why mommy always calls daddy a dirt bag. Oh dear, somebody be, get him quiet. Well, you know what, friends? Maybe we are technically made from dirt, but let's not act like it. Let's make sure that we are good. <laughs> We're good dirt bags. No, friends, friends, you are honorable. You are honorable men. And I do want to thank you for being the honorable men that you are, for being godly, for leading in your sphere of influence. No, there are no dirt bags that I know here except for the good ones. You are made by God from the dust, but you are in his image. You were formed by him. And thank you for walking together with me, with the ladies, with the children, as honorable men. Amen, amen, amen.